Welcome to The Wisdom Show, a gathering place for the world's leading experts in the fields of human potential, spirituality, personal development, health, relationships, and more. Join us as we evolve together to the highest expression of our lives. And now, your host, Gene Swan. Hello, everyone. Welcome, and let me ask you a question. Are you feeling like your old ways of doing things aren't working? Are you questioning whether playing it safe was the right path to take in your work or in the rest of your life? Millions of people are scrambling to find new answers in these unprecedented times, and there's so much change happening at lightning speed in business, education, government, financial institutions, health, every area of our lives. And our guest today is here to help us sort it all out. Prosperity expert Randy Gage rose from a jail cell as a teenager to become a self-made multimillionaire. Along the way, he overcame addictions, near bankruptcy, and went on to inspire millions around the world. Randy is the author of eight international bestsellers, which have been translated into 25 languages. His new book, Risky is the New Safe, has been called a manifesto of individual and global magnificence. And Randy, I have to say, as soon as I saw the title of your book, I knew I had to read it. I read it right away. And it really touches a chord about the times we're living in. All the rules have changed and everything about succeeding in all areas is now being challenged. So why do you say risky is the new safe? Yes, I think about when I grew up, my mother told me, go to school, get an education, get a job for a big company, you'll be set for life. And you know what? I think millions of mothers and fathers all over the world were telling their kids the same thing. But today, that's the riskiest thing you could do. Or if you bought into the thing, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for 40, 50 years, and then my company's going to pay me a pension, and I'll live out my golden years. Pretty risky, right? If you work for Delta Airlines or American Airlines or U.S. Airways, you you know, whoever, you figured out that's pretty risky. Even Medicare here in the United States and government retirement programs in other countries all over the world, what we used to think is safe is very risky. And uh, risky, taking chances, doing different things, that's what the book is about. Risky is really the new safe. And you even say in the book that uh, right now earning a college degree and getting a job with a big company, the old way of thinking, is risky and that a six-month online certification would be more valuable now than an MBA, which might sound shocking to people, but it's obvious with the Internet and with the way business is going. Yeah, I look, I've got a whole chapter on the what I would call the breakdown of the education system in the West. They're teaching to the test. They're teaching kids to memorize facts. They're telling them what to think. Nobody's actually teaching kids how to think, and that really is a skill set that kids need to learn. So then you go all the way up to the university model. The whole model is broken. I mean, they're hastening their irrelevance because it's built on this model of big, sprawling campuses of brick and mortar, getting more and down, you know, chasing after endowments and exploiting student athletes. And it, it, we're creating a nation of idiots. I mean, we're creating, I speak at high schools, you know, it's kind of the one of the ways I pay back when I'm in town doing a speech. I'm shocked how many high school kids can't even write a letter. You know, it's just crazy. Um, and so it's, it really is an issue. And we're fast approaching the time when a six-month certification that you took, you know, something you train online, if it's in the right field, uh, video gaming, programming, asteroid mining, spaceship piloting, 
that six-month worth of training will be more lucrative to you, get you a better job, get you a better income than an MBA or even a Ph.D. And people who are used to storefront retail centers or old ways of doing business are either being left behind or they have to step up and learn what's going on on the Internet. That's basically what it's come down to. Well, two things jump out at that. One is, yeah, I... I say in the book, the retail model is dead. I mean, basically, you're, you're talking about a business that's using the same business model from 250 years ago, right? We used to have uh, uh, products produced in the old world, meaning England. They came to the new world, meaning U.S. They docked in New York or Boston or Baltimore or whatever. They went by stagecoach across the country. They went to a general store, and then the c- consumer came in and bought it. And so the ships turn into airplanes, and the stagecoaches turn into trains, and the trains turn into 18-wheelers, and the general stores turn into family stores and turn into department stores and turn into mega malls. But the basic model, you could even argue it got worse. It got more complex, that there's more levels of parasites in there, rack jobbers and wholesalers and warehousers, that it's it's a broken economic model because it's built for 250 years ago, as if the Internet didn't exist, that FedEx didn't exist, or UPS, or 800 numbers, or fax machines. So it's, it's, is it any wonder Macy's went to bankruptcy, that Home Depot went to bankruptcy, that Sound Advice and all these big box retailers went into bankruptcy? No, because it's a broken model. Um, so yeah, you're you're dead right when you say, hey, they better worry, you know, understand what's going on online. But the other big thing that you know I'm talking about in the book is mobile, because mobile blows up everything. Because it's if you took most people today and you made them choose between having to give up their favorite websites or their favorite mobile apps, I think most people would give up their websites. And that is a that is a shocking transformation of change, the fact that we have become so Internet dependent in so quick of a time. But is, you know, why did Mark Zuckerberg and the guys at Facebook pay a billion dollars for Instagram, which has never made a penny? Because Instagram had this mobile technology, and Mark and the guys over there understand that you know, right now there's five billion people in the world with smartphones, with mobile devices, and that changes everything. Because now it doesn't matter if you're a beauty salon, if you're a, a chiropractor, or if you're Exxon Mobile, mobile applications. I mean, so now. Somebody's walking by your beauty salon, driving by your beauty salon, or coming by in a land speeder, right? You could be, they could get a coupon with a special introductory offer just sent to them automatically because they get in the vicinity. This is where the future is going. And, you know, mobile blows up the internet, mobile blows up advertising. Um, and this really, the whole premise of the book is we're going to have all these cataclysmic changes. Which are going to produce these cataclysmic challenges, but ultimately produce these breathtaking opportunities. 
And the mobile apps you see mainly with young people. I have a teenager and a 21-year-old, and they don't live without those, more so the young people, I think, than people that are older. So it's just a way of life for them. So everything has to be on that mobile app for them. I know that you um, said that this book is kind of like a Think and Grow Rich for our current times. And in Think and Grow Rich, there was a description of all of the successful people of the time, Edison and Carnegie. And now you talk about the new uh, entrepreneurs and how all the rules have changed as to how they're succeeding. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was kind of my... uh my my inner motivation was I, I wanted to write the book Napoleon Hill would write if he was doing Think and Grow Rich in today's economy. And so he looked at those guys, and I looked at Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Sir Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Oprah Winfrey, Meg Whitman, at the billionaires of our time, and look for the clues. Look for, okay, what... How do those people think? Because I've been teaching prosperity and success for 25 years now, and I can tell you, if I've learned anything, I've learned that uh, healthy people think differently than sick people, happy people think differently than depressed people, and wealthy people think differently than broke people. And a lot of the second half of of, uh, Risky is the New Safe is about how you think how you create that mindset, how you recognize opportunities that, you know, how you approach it with prosperity consciousness as opposed to poverty consciousness so you really can take advantage of the extraordinary opportunities that are available to us right now. So what are some of those right now? If you were to tell someone, well, this is a big trend and that's a big trend, you do talk a lot in your book about what you foresee with the technology and how we'll all have our own channels as opposed to just relying on cable and other providers. Yeah, the couple of things are going to disappear. The lines between screens are going away. You have a wristwatch will have a, a monitor, your smartphone, you got one in your car on the dashboard, and now half the time you're going to walk in your house, you're going to have your 8-foot HD TV screen, you got your iPad or your tablet, you sit down at your desk. That that channel of yours will just follow you from wherever you are to the screen that's in front of you. All the lines are going to disappear. And then, of course, when Google comes out with those magic eyeglasses, then you won't need any of those screens because it's going to be right on the glasses, right? But now, right now, there's probably two kids in a college dorm room somewhere who got nothing but a couple of empty pizza boxes, and they're going to come up with the microchip or the, you know, the contact lens that will make the Google glasses obsolete. So that when, every time those changes happen, there's going to be people who lose out who lose market share because they weren't ready, and there's going to be other people who become wealthy. And the same way, the you know, we have lines now. We say, well, there's the broadcast networks, and then there's the cable networks, and now we have online-created content. Well, all the rules have changed because YouTube is now grooming people to develop on their channel. They're making stars out of some of their big YouTube video people. Uh, Netflix is creating their own shows now. Here was a video rental company. Now they're in the production business making shows because they have this whole audience of people who are used to getting video from them. 
And you know what? The consumer, they don't care. Did did Fox produce this? Did ABC produce this? Did somebody on a website produce it? They just know what they like. They know the information they want, and they know the entertainment they want. So they just want their content, and they don't care where it came from. And the people who figure this out, and here's the big thing, Gene. You know, Rupert Murdoch is a billionaire, and he hasn't figured this out. Ted Turner is a billionaire. He hasn't figured this out. Mark Cuban is a billionaire. He hasn't figured it out, although he may be closer than the other guys. Nobody's figured this out because it hasn't been figured out yet. Because it's not going to be, you know, American Idol, 8 o'clock on Fox. It's going to be, you're going to say, I want to program the My Network. I want uh, Randy Gage's blog and, you know, Seth Godin's RSS feed, and I want my stock quotes and my Empire Avenue quotes and all my iTunes and all the sequels to Avengers, and I want uh, the X-Factor U.S. version, U.K. version, and the Lunar version. I want all the new releases by Maroon 5 and Nickelback, and you're going to create your channel, your network. You could order pilots even, commission movies, everything. And it's just, and remember, it's just going to follow you on whatever screen's in front of you or eyeglasses or contact lenses. And the people who figure out how to sell that stuff, how to process that stuff, how to deliver that stuff, how to handle payments for that stuff, they're going to, some of them will be billionaires. Some of them might be trillionaires by the time we're talking some of this stuff. So would you say that online created content that can be translated to mobile apps is the biggest area of growth, that people need to come up with an idea, create create content, and make it available to people? Here's what I think is a multi-billion dollar idea for anybody listening for the mobile, is think in terms of process apps. So an app that provides some process which the consumer would want. For instance, you know, Delta Airlines, American Airlines, you know, everybody makes a, they have their own app, right? And it tells you when their flights are and you can track your frequent flyer miles and you can know what gate your plane's going to be at. That's a, that's a marketing app. And pizzerias have them and airlines have them and grocery stores have them. But process apps are usually created out in the marketplace by consumers looking for something that solves a problem. So the American Airlines app would tell you what flight, you know, what gate your flight's going to be at. But the process app would tell you the truth about how late the flight is going to take off because the people who are on that connecting plane will tell you they actually left Dallas, you know, 50 minutes late and they're getting into New York an hour late and so the connecting flight is going to be late. They'll tell you the truth. You know, the process app from the local neighborhood, you know, the the marketing app from the local neighborhood pizzeria will tell you, you know, how you can order the pizza and get it delivered and what their menu is. The process app created by a third party in the real world, that'll tell you Vito at the pizzeria washes his hands after he goes to the bathroom, right? A process app tells you, how do I get a taxi where I am right now in London? How do I find a place that sells sushi closest to where I'm standing right now? That's where the billion-dollar ideas are in mobile, is coming up with applications 
stored in the cloud that allow people to do processes that they want to do. So something that solves an immediate problem rather than content that they may or may not like. That's really the whole basis of Risky is the New Safe is find a problem. If you can show someone how you can make their problem go away, they will glad, lovingly, gratefully, joyfully crawl naked over broken glass <laughs> and throw money at you. <laughs> right? You know, think about it. It's, you wake up Saturday morning. You got an abscess tooth, and your face is swollen, and your head is throbbing. You care about nothing else in the world except how to make that pain go away. So you're going to get online. You're going to look for a dentist. You're going to call around, find somebody who has an emergency number. You don't, you're not looking for early bird discounts. You're not looking for coupons. You're not. You know what I mean? You just want to find a dentist who's willing to meet you in this office and make this pain go away. And all that's human nature. When we have a problem, and <coughs> excuse me, we can find somebody who will make that problem go away. That's what we gladly trade our money for. And what you know, what the book is about is is how to recognize those challenges that people are going to be facing in the future because of all this change, and being there to meet those challenges, and thus create great wealth and provide great service. Right. You say in the book that people that create prosperity have to be in front of the trends instead of reacting to them. They have to think ahead to what's going to be needed. Yeah, because, you, you know, you have all these business consultants out there with, you know, the buzzword today is nimble. Every company says they're nimble now. Well, change is happening so fast now that being nimble won't keep up with it. You have to get in front of the trends now. You can't react to them after they happen. You also talk about parents of teenagers who are trying to help figure out the best jobs for their children in the year, let's say, 2018, but those jobs aren't even invented yet. And you talk about a lot of the trends, the major factors that are driving these new opportunities. What's going on in society now that's going to be creating what the needs are in 2018? Yeah, so take somebody who's right. We're going to have millions of jobs eliminated by technology, millions. So and we know already the travel agent jobs and the neighborhood video clerk store jobs, they're never coming back. Typesetters, right? I mean, those jobs don't exist anymore. They'll never come back. Then there's millions of other jobs that are going to need complete retraining just to keep the job. So somebody could be listening to this show right now, and they're a heart surgeon, and they went to school for 15 years and got a you know very advanced degree, and they've been practicing for 20. Well, 15 years from now, they may be not at all qualified to be a heart surgeon because heart surgery is going to be done, heart transplant surgery even, will probably be done with a joystick from the control room. And the most qualified open heart surgeon is probably that 17-year-old kid who was at the mall yesterday and wouldn't talk to you because he was busy playing Angry Birds. <laughs> he may be the most brilliant heart transplant surgeon in the world 15 years from now because that's his skill set. And the guy who went to, to college for 15 years to learn how to be a heart surgeon, he's going to find all of that training that he took doesn't really help him anymore because... The rules have changed 
Right, and you start the book with a chapter about training monkeys and cloning puppies and how these are changing our lives. Can you talk about your experience with that? Yeah, I go to Phuket, Thailand to do a bucket list thing. I wanted to ride an elephant through the rainforest. While I'm there, I find out they are training monkeys to replace humans to harvest coconuts out of the trees. And I'm thinking, you know, we've used animals for beasts of burden for centuries, right, horses and cows and whatever. But to actually be training an animal for manual labor, and, I, you know, I'm just looking at that saying, you know, if somebody from American Airlines ever comes by and sees this, <laughs> you don't think they're going to be saying, I wonder if we could replace some flight attendants with monkeys? I mean, where did we go with that? Within the very same trip, I'm flying home. I switch planes in in San Francisco. There's a puppy in the airline lounge and a carrier with this couple. So I I love all animals. I'm like, can I play with your puppy? And the lady tells me he's a clone. And I'm like, I figure she's joking. She's not joking. Now, I would have bet the keys to everything I own that I was being put on. Because this was the most adorable puppy you've ever seen. But it really was a clone. They were on my flight to Miami. And when we landed, there was a camera crew. Oh, camera crew. There was like 10 camera crews waiting for us. Because it wasn't even the first puppy that had ever been cloned. It was just the first one that had been brought to the United States. And, you know, they're cloning sheep and they've cloned camels. And, you know, they will clone humans at some point. And you know what? The U.N. could get behind it and everybody could say, you know, we're not going to do this, the moral and ethical dilemmas here. But there will be a country somewhere that says, hey, we don't have oil, we don't have coal, we don't have natural resources. The best way for us to make our way in the world is we're going to become the cloning center of the world. And that will be our industry. That will be our resource. And then you're going to have clone armies. And where does that lead us? Then we're going to have cloned sex workers. Where does that leave us? You know, it's fascinating. You know, I got amazing endorsements for the book. I actually had two people, both of whom are dear friends, who said, you know, I I can't endorse this book. You know, I I love the book. It's brilliant. It's your best work. But, you know, you got that, that section in there about virtual reality sex and cloning sex workers. And, you know, you if you don't take that out, I can't endorse the book. And I'm like, you know, I'm not taking it out. You know, don't blame the messenger. This is just, I'm just telling you, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, here's the problems going to be caused by that. And here's what some of the solutions could be. And, of course, the people who provide solutions, they are the ones who create wealth. You do have a lot of controversy, or a few areas of controversy in the book. One saying that governments have become the new Ponzi schemes, and I think a lot of people can relate to that type of thinking. You really push the envelope in some areas, but these are areas that are not working now, and they do need solutions. So in the terms of government and and how that's working, and you talk about the breakdown that's coming, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot of people listening are probably entrepreneurs, and If you ran your business the way the U.S. government runs the government, you would go to prison. If you're in Australia, if you're in U.K., if you're in France, if you're in Germany, if you're in Spain, if you're in Italy, if you ran your business the way your country runs its budget, 
you would go to prison because it's a Ponzi scheme. And that is the truth. The, you know, the new Ponzi schemes today, they're the governments. And it's it's a disgrace, and it's creating economic havoc around the world for poor, honest, hardworking people. Yes, and another controversial idea is uh, you have is that selfishness is the new altruism. And it's not really controversial because we do need to take care of ourselves before we can take care of anyone else. But what do you tell people as far as they need to be selfish so that they can really help people? Well, it's funny. See, you say that's not controversial because you've done self-development. Yes. I, you have to. There's even a saying, you know, you have to be blessed to be a blessing. It's like you can't help anyone if you're not helping yourself. So I understand that. But to a lot of people, that idea might sound a little wrong. Yeah, or a lot. I mean, yeah. I can tell you from the advanced reviews, there are some people like, wow, that, that chapter just blows them away. Whereas, like I say, somebody like you who's done self-development and personal growth it's like well yeah i get it but the fact is you know you can't we have so many codependent people in the world today we have so many needy people in the world today and you know one of my great great influences uh, was ayn rand and of course she's best known for fountainhead and atlas shrugged but i think perhaps her greatest work might have been a collection of essays called the virtue of selfishness and, and, of course, that was shocking in his day when it came out. And, you know, the media was asking her then, you know, how could you use that word in the title? And her answer was, for the very reason it scares you. And like Ein, I also see selfishness as enlightened self-interest. And, you know, as Reverend Ike liked to say, you know, the best thing you can do for the poor people is not be one of them. And if you're not getting your own needs met, you're not able to help anybody else. And that's really, it's that, just that philosophy on steroids is really what that chapter is all about. And you even talk about Mother Teresa and some of the greatest spiritual leaders that we've had, as they had to be selfish to accomplish what they did. Absolutely. And also, you say that uh, there's another part of the book where you talk about how you were influenced by Charles Fillmore, who founded the Unity Movement. I'm familiar with those teachings. How, how did they influence the book? You talk about cosmic consciousness as a basis for success. A lot of people who read uh, basic business success books might be surprised to find that in there. But what do you, how did that affect how you help others to succeed? Yeah, the, the, where that came out in the book, you know, Fillmore believed that we have a creator who provided for all our needs and that we're surrounded by prosperity. It's in the ethers all around us. And, you know, he was a metaphysician, obviously, and metaphysically he said the way we manifest that prosperity into the physical realm is through the power of ideas. And how that came out in my book is I wrote a chapter called The New Religion of Ideas. And I think that's going to be the most valuable currency in the years ahead because innovation always comes from ideas. Prosperity always comes from ideas. Nobody has a money shortage. Only thing you can have is an idea shortage because if you have the right idea, you can always get the money. Right, and you talk about how there are, I think, four principles for success, that pe or it's the, it's the process that people use that makes the success. Can you tell us what, what those four are? I, I'm 
taking that, what I'm really doing is talking about the things you need to bring to your own education. And that's really where I'm talking about the breakdown of, of that the, the whole system here in the West. Because So we need things like curiosity, discernment. We need to teach kids how to practice lateral thinking skills, critical thinking skills, creativity thinking where we can take the right brain and the left brain and get whole brain synchronicity happening. Those discernment is really an important thing. You have, you know, like I said, we've, we've, we've programmed people that we'll tell them what to think, but not taught them how to think. And we have to, we have to get back to teaching young kids how to think and adults, grown up people who are reading my book have to really look at this honestly and say, okay, am I, Am I thinking for myself? Am I a critical thinker? Because that's where success always lies. So what do you mean by critical thinker exactly? I give some examples in the book. You know, let's do you really believe when the airplane says um, you can't use your cell phone or the plane is going to crash? But if you buy our cell phone service for a dollar a minute, the plane is fine. You can't turn on your Wi-Fi because uh, the plane is going to crash. But if you want to buy our Wi-Fi for $7.95 a flight or $15.95 a flight, that's fine. I don't believe them. You know, when uh, you would think if you were going to build, if you're going to hire someone to build an airport, you'd actually hire an architect who probably had been in an airport before. But if you ever changed planes in the Madrid airport, you'd realize they didn't do that. When they built the Charles de Gaulle Airport, the new terminal, you'd think, well, they probably hired architects and builders and contractors who could build this building so that the roof doesn't fall on the passengers and kill them. But obviously they didn't. You know, look at Todd Aiken and his comments about, uh, you know, how women can um, prevent pregnancy by, you know, mental superpowers. Uh, and you, and he's certainly not alone. We've got idiots on both sides of the aisle in, in, in this country and every country who actually pass laws that we're supposed to live by. So the point of this is just because somebody has a title doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Just because somebody has a degree doesn't mean they know what they're doing. You have to be a critical thinker. You have to question authority. You just can't take things at face value because even though somebody has a, a very prestigious title or degree or has a high position and they work for, in a position of authority, that doesn't mean they necessarily know what they're talking about because a lot of times they don't. So do you find with a lot of people that you teach that they, they are kind of programmed that way and that they have to unprogram that thinking that you trust or you totally take blindly what authority tells you. Yeah, it's exactly what you said about untrain or, you know, to really because they've been programmed. And so you have to deprogram yourself because, you you know, it's all the mind viruses. I actually wrote a book, I think, in 2006 called Why You're Dumb, Sick, and Broke and How to Get Smart, Healthy, and Rich. And, of course, that title was a little controversial at the time. Um, but that whole book was about mind viruses and how we get infected. with. Just like your computer can get a hard drive, you know, the hard drive gets a virus, your subconscious mind can get infected with a mind virus. 
you know, what are typical ones and very prevalent in the world right now? Money is bad. Rich people are evil. It's spiritual to be poor. Uh, you have to sell your soul to get money. You have to be a bad mom to be rich. You have to be a bad dad to be successful. There's so many of these insidious negative mind viruses floating around that usually like when I'm working with people to help them unblock their prosperity, it's very much very much what you just said. It's an, an untraining or an unlearning of all this uh, this programming they've been infected with. It is changing, though, to a degree, don't you think? I mean, you can sense it and feel it by what is going on on the Internet and other places where people are starting to challenge it. Probably, definitely not the majority, but do you feel it is changing? I couldn't do the work I do unless I believed it was, unless I believed that it can and, and will. I mean, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, there are millions of people who think we live in the darkest time in human history because they read the papers, they watch the news, and I think we live in the greatest time of human history, and that's why I wrote the book. Right, and also for people who want to learn to have more of a prosperous mindset, first of all, they can read your book, Risky is the New Safe, which is really great, and then you also have a program you're making available at a discount called Power Prosperity Program, which is available at thewisdomshow.com under archives and special offers. So can you tell us how that program helps people to break down those old belief systems and, and move forward and succeed? Yeah. So two points. First, you mentioned the book. If you, Anybody listening, if you haven't got the book yet, it's out now. Go to riskyisthenewsafe.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your bookseller or whatever. Get that book. It's, it's inexpensive, and it'll just it'll bend your mind in ways you've never imagined before. It's like one of the reviewers said, it's like sticking your fingers in an electric socket. I mean, this book will it'll blow your mind, really. Now, the resource, the Power Prosperity Program that you mentioned that we're offering people today, that is a way to re- program your brain it's a, a, a it's some audio it's some video workbooks to follow along because go back to something I said earlier in the show that wealthy people think differently than broke people they just do you know I did a radio show the other day and here's what I, I had to admit they asked me a question I said let me let me let me confess to something if you would have come to me 15 years ago 20 years ago with the idea of Google or Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or Microsoft, I could have given you, chapter and verse, I could have given you a hundred reasons why they won't work. And I would have believed it because that's where, that's where my consciousness was. I could, no matter what, you know, when, when Ted Turner announced that he was going to do CNN, I said, that, that's the craziest, um, the news show every 30 minutes, the news all over again, a rerun. That is the dumbest idea in the history of the world. I remember saying that. Then ABC said, we're going to do ESPN Network. And we're just going to have, instead of five-minute sports on the nightly news, we're going to do sports for the whole hour. And we're going to have a news show every hour. I said, oh, my God, this is, this is even crazier than CNN. Who would watch sports? So now fast forward, however many years later, I almost never watch TV, but if I'm on TV, I'm probably watching CNN or, you know, a sports center on ESPN. Um, 
But if you talked to me back then, I could have told you why they would never work because that's where my mindset was. So what this Power Prosperity Program is, is to help you reprogram your brain. Because here's the fascinating thing, Gene. I believe, for most everybody who's listening to this show right now, I believe the opportunity of, of, of a lifetime comes around about every three weeks for most people. So think about that. I'm saying of a lifetime. I'm saying comes around every three weeks. So you say, well, how is that possible? Why it's possible is because most people don't recognize it when they see it. And most people don't act on it when they see it. And they have something like that come along every few weeks. But because they're, they're trained to think of why things won't work, and they're trained in mind viruses, they're ingrained in mind viruses and uh, habitual thinking and linear thinking that they don't even recognize these opportunities when they're right in front of them. Um, you know, this how, how this short, this time we've had on this show, I guarantee you, if you haven't heard three, four, five things that are multi-million dollar ideas, multi-billion dollar ideas, then you simply haven't even been paying attention. Or you're not thinking in a way. You don't have the success mindset to recognize opportunities. And what the Power Prosperity Program will do will help you literally change the way you think because that's really what's necessary for success today for most people. And there are audios in that that they can listen to as well? Yes. Yes, so that is at thewisdomshow.com under archives and special offers. A couple of other trends that you talk about is video. I'm just curious about that because right now, mainly on the Internet, we're seeing printed copy and we're seeing we're hearing a lot of audio, but now you're seeing more videos and you're talking about how that's going to explode. How do you think that's going to change the way we view things? And, and you talk about people's expe- uh, attention spans as being short, which is why we're going in that direction. Yeah, anybody under 35 now, even almost 40, is the Internet, television, video game, texting generation. Um, Serious ADD issues, serious attention span issues. Um, They learn differently. They watch things differently. They are the ultimate multitaskers. and it's not, and I don't like this, you know. I'm at my core essence. I'm a writer, you know. I want to be in my lonely writer's garret writing my next book, and I want to read books. I'm not a video. I'm not an audio guy. I'm not a visual guy. I'm a written guy, right? But I think I'm a because I'm 53. I'm old by these standards, right? For most people, like a 20 year old kid today, if you ask them about a book, they don't even know what that is. You know, unless they've been in a museum and seen a book, they don't know what that is, right? (laughs) True. um, Today, you have four- and five-year-old kids who are communicating with their friends on iPads using mobile applications like FaceTime. Whereas if they call, if you put them on the phone with their five-year-old friends, they hang up because they get bored because they can't see them. But And if you ask them about sending an email to their friend, of course, they wouldn't even know what it is. But if they knew what it is, they'd say, well, that's pretty old-fashioned. Why would I send an email when I can just talk to her with FaceTime and look at her? So 
video is really going to be, you know, will it all go to video email, video websites? I don't know. I mean, nobody really knows. But one thing I can say for sure is video will have a dramatically larger impact in marketing, in education, in everything on the Internet. And you also suggest that people should strive to have spectacular failures. That's something most people are not comfortable with. But why would you say that? Most of the people would answer failure. But that's not the correct answer. The opposite of success, in my view, is mediocrity. And failure is simply part of the success process. So we just, we make, we test things, we track things, we try things out. We find out what works, we find out what doesn't work. That's just part of the process to success. And and really, you know, Richard Brand, Mark Cuban, I was listening to an interview with Mark Cuban recently, and, and he said something pretty fascinating. He said, you don't have to be right all the time. You only have to be right one time. And look at him. He was right one time, and it made him a billionaire. And that's why the title of your book is Risky is the New Safe, because it does take a risk, and maybe many risks. A lot of people, I was surprised to hear Abraham Lincoln failed at almost everything he did before he became president. So a lot oh, of people, everything. right, yeah. a lot of people look at examples and say, oh, it must have been easy for them, but they don't realize how many failures came before that. Yeah, exactly. And one other thing you mentioned is about, you know, the old wisdom is in, in the area of finances, that people used to put money into savings accounts and government bonds and government-sponsored retirement programs, which we know many people have lost, but that's not working either. What do you advise people for success in that area? we got to get back to the, you know, we got to start teaching financials something, a competence in the school system. we got to... As a matter of fact, there's a, uh, there's a documentary that's airing this month on ESPN called Broke, where they're, they're interviewing all these athletes who made $10 million, $30 million, $50 million, $70 million in their career. And they're broke two years, three years after they retire from their sport, football, baseball, all kind of athletes. And I was watching some previews of that from the, the director, and there were guys who got there was a guy who got a $300,000 signing bonus, and he cashed it at a check cashing store. And you know what they charge to cash checks. I mean, he said then they were like laughing at him. They were just hysterical that, you know, they had to make all these arrangements. And everything. He didn't even have a bank account. He didn't know how to open a bank account. This was a, like a 19-year-old guy who just got awarded a you know, couple million-dollar contract with a, a couple hundred-thousand-dollar signing bonus. He didn't even have a bank account. There's a savings account? The, you know, if you stop the next hundred people on the streets in the United States, in UK, Australia, Europe, anywhere in the developed world, you know, out of a hundred people, if there were, if there were two in a hundred that had more in savings than they had in credit card debt, I, I would be amazed. And if there was even five or eight in a hundred who actually had a savings account, I would I would find that amazing. So for people listening, a lot of these ideas may be new and they may be just kind of processing it. What would be a message you would give people right now in these times we're living in if they're uh, worried about moving forward or which direction to go in? What what advice would you have? Well, that, that's how I would like to wrap it up. This, this, is, this is what I would say to them. 
This is why I wrote the book. Go back to something I mentioned. We live in the greatest time in human history right now. There has never been a better time to be alive with what's happening, with longevity, with medicine, with social media, with technology, with health care, with everything. Never been a greater time to be alive. Never been a greater time to create wealth. Most of the people listening to this radio show right now will have the opportunity to vacation on the moon in their lifetime. Most of the people on this listening to right now will be able to buy a, a home on the floor of the ocean with a, with a view of a coral reef garden and sharks swimming by. Most of the people listening to this show right now will, in their lifetime, they'll be able to sing a duet with Elvis Presley, although that'll probably be done in a virtual reality hollow suite, right? Now, understand, I'm not talking 30, 40, 100 years from now. Richard Branson's going to be putting tourists in space next year. There's a hotel in the South Pacific right now that has a, a biosphere room, takes you down, you're on the floor of the ocean for two days. Um, this is stuff we're talking in the next decade. So we're living in the greatest time in human history. There's never been an easier time to go from broke to wealthy. There's never been a better, easier time to go from destitute to multimillionaire than right here, right now, because of Internet, because of social media, because of the cloud, because of mobile apps, because of all these, this interconnectedness of the world and all of these things taking place, there's never been a better time to create wealth, health, happiness, and prosperity. But millions of people don't know it because they're buying in the mind viruses. They're reading those newspapers in the morning. They're watching the nightly news before they go to bed. They think we're living in the darkest time in human history. And I wrote this book to let them know that's a lie. This is the greatest time in human history because risky is the new safe. It really is. And reading this book is so inspiring and exciting, talking about what's to come and how we can be involved in it. And I'm sure it's going to turn a lot of people thinking around who may be doing just what you're saying, thinking that, that these are terrible times. They're great times. And thank you so much, Randy, for sharing this modern-day wisdom with us and helping everyone to uh, to understand how we can adapt to our new our new world. So thank you, Randy. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on. And everyone who wants to read the book, it's Risky is the New Safe. You can go to Randy's uh, website, riskyisthenewsafe.com. Also, for more on prosperity, thewisdomshow.com under special offers. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time on The Wisdom Show. Be sure to visit us at thewisdomshow.com for access to archives of previous shows and special discount packages offered by our world-renowned experts. Thanks to internetaudiohub.com for our state-of-the-art broadcast sound. Internetaudiohub.com is available for all of your Internet audio needs. We look forward to joining you next time on The Wisdom Show.